Welcome to State Bar of Michigan's On Balance Podcast, where we talk about practice management and lawyer wellness for a thriving law practice with your hosts, Joanne Hathaway and Tish Vincent, here on Legal Talk Network. Take it away, ladies. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast on Legal Talk Network. This is Joanne Hathaway, Practice Management Advisor for the Practice Management Resource Center at the State Bar of Michigan. And this is Tish Vincent, Program Administrator for the Lawyers and Judges Assistance Program at the State Bar of Michigan. We are recording today's show at the next conference in Detroit, Michigan. Joining us now, we have Justice Bridget McCormick from the Michigan Supreme Court. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Before we get started, please tell us a little bit more about yourself. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for having me. I am one of the seven justices on the Michigan Supreme Court. I was elected in November 2012, so I started serving in January 2013. So I've been on the court, what does that make me, five and a half years. Mm And before that, I was a professor at the University of Michigan Law School, um, and I ran the clinical programs there. So I actually, while I was teaching law students, I was also practicing in the courts of the state, including the court I now serve on. Before that, long before that, I taught at Yale Law School, and before that, I was a lawyer in New York City, a public defender, in fact. That was my first job out of law school. Wow, wonderful. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us today, Justice. We're here to discuss social media and the bench. Would you like to kick this off? I would. Um, This is a fun topic for me and one that I have done some other speaking about, and I'm I'm glad you're interested in it and uh, eager to talk to you both about it. As you well know, because you know lawyers, lawyers have been, I think, slower than other professions to embrace technology, at least, generally. Um, Some of that makes sense. The law is, you know, an industry that can, or at least could for a long time, survive without it. It is, by its nature, sort of slow and deliberate. And there, there are lots of things that are sort of inconsistent about technology and the law. Having said that, the profession is now embracing technology. And that's a good thing. It's good for uh, the consumers and the public that we serve. And the bench is an interesting part of all that. Technology generally is obviously important in courts. It makes our work um, more efficient, more effective. But judges individually can still be sort of scared of it. Um, But I have been a proponent of judges not only using technology, but using social media in particular. As you know, I'm elected statewide, Mm -hmm. um, and this is a big state, Michigan. There's a whole other part of it way up there. It's a huge state. And for me to be able to communicate with the people across the state about what our court is up to, what, you know, kinds of work we're doing, it's almost impossible for me to do that by getting in my car and getting around the state. And I think we have some obligation to do that. And social media, in my view, is a great tool for communicating the work that we're involved in. That's an interesting idea. Do you encourage other judges to do it? I do, and that's and there are there are some judges who do it who do it quite a bit. Okay. Um, there are there are judges in our state who are very active on Facebook and on Twitter and and view social media like I do as mm-hmm. a way in which to communicate to the public what their courts are doing. But there are an awful lot who are um, not involved in social media at all. And some of that is sort of a historic 
understanding of sort of a judge's role and how it's different from yes. other people in public life, right? Other, other people in public life, especially other people who are elected, come to their roles believing that it's their job to communicate as much as possible with the public. And so it's not surprising that members of the other branches of government have embraced social media at a much faster pace than the bench. But I believe that um, that reticence, the idea that judges are somehow should be reserved and removed from the public is a mistake. I think it's a mistake because I believe the more the public knows about what we're doing and knows about what we think about what we're doing and um, can hear stories about what we're doing, the more confidence the public will have in our work and ultimately in the rule of law. So I believe communicating to the public however we can is worth our time and social media is an effective way to do that. I think in talking with some judges just about their own personal use of social media, they're, they're rather frightened that they they'll are. make a misstep That's and right. sort of have a connection with someone that might be in front of them in a case or be an attorney. So are there any special precautions that you encourage judges who are thinking of developing a social media presence? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's absolutely the question I get most commonly from judges who have not had a social media presence mm -hmm. and are, um, frankly, they are, as you said, they're afraid that it will somehow um, embroil them in some ethical problem or yes. some complicated yeah. issue that, you know, will be hard to recover from. And, my, and my, my response to that is, sure, you could get yourself into trouble on social media, but you can also get yourself into trouble just in any speaking engagement yeah. or any other interaction with the public. Yeah. It is true that on social media, a mistake you make will be amplified mm -hmm. and preserved. Um, and so if you made that same mistake in a small room, in a, in a lunch, or an address to a group of people, you might have some hope that it could die out more quickly. So mm -hmm. there is that, you know, your, your missteps and your mistakes will be amplified. Yes. But the same way we tell judges and judges understand um, that the rules that govern them, the canons that govern them when they are in public life, those same canons govern you online. I mean, the precautions that you would take in preparing for a speech or any other interaction with or engagement with um, a group of a group of people those should be the same ones you take online. So, you know, judges are, in Michigan at least, I hope everywhere, are prohibited from um, engaging in partisan mm -hmm. activities. Don't do that online either. Right. It's, it's mm -hmm. sort of simple, I think. Yeah, it's actually not think. that complicated. Yeah. yeah. Well, don't you find, though, that a lot of judges maybe um, just basically don't have a lot of familiarity with social media? So just the concept in and of itself to engage in social media is foreign to them. So they're not only having to overcome that hurdle but then, gee, once I have a comfort level with these modes of communication, what do I say? I mean, do you how, how do you think that they can position themselves to go down this avenue? Can they basically go out and see what other judges are doing and monitor it for a while? And yeah, you, you can be idea? a lurker for a while. Yeah. You can, you can, <laughs> I, I didn't you want can to say the word on Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> you can be a lurker. You can hop on to Twitter or yep. Facebook and see what other judges are doing. I, I, I addressed um, the State Judicial Association that the circuit judges are part of had a, a panel on this topic mm -hmm. at their annual conference in um, August. And there are there were a couple of folks in the room who are regularly on Twitter. In fact, I'm always retweeting them and they're always retweeting me. But a whole lot more were skeptical and concerned and worried. And they faced exactly the questions that you both have flagged. One, mm -hmm. they're worried about some kind of um, ethical problem or 
complicated issue that seems amplified. Um, and two, they don't really know how to do it because they've been in this profession that, I, as I said at the outset, didn't require them to learn these um, modes of communication. So they don't know how to do it. So they don't know how to do it. They're afraid of it. And I encouraged a couple of them to just get yourself a Twitter handle and start following me. Start mm -hmm. following, you know, Chris Yates from Kent County. Start following Kiana Lillard from Wayne County. There are a few of us that are on there a lot. Mm -hmm. um, follow the Michigan Supreme Court. The Michigan Supreme Court has a Twitter feed. Right. And every day tweets out interesting and informative information, mm -hmm. not only about our court and the courts of the state and what they're up to, but also other legal news. Um, it's a it's a a great way to get information out to the public. And some people, I think, don't even realize you can get a Twitter handle and not have to identify who you are. I mean, you can make a name and be on there and watch what other people are doing. Yeah, you can do that. I had to do that when I before I was active in social media, but I had kids who were. I, yeah. I was a, I was a, I had, you know, We've I, all had, done that. I, had, I had a presence in yes. many of these social media <laughs> fora, uh, so I could see what my kids were up to yes. um, and sort of learn some things about them that I wasn't getting from them directly. Mm -hmm. And that's a way to do it. Um, yeah. But I've seen um, judges start out slowly and sort mm -hmm. of see what's happening mm -hmm. and quickly get engaged in this community. Okay. Um, there are some stories you can tell with social media that are hard to otherwise tell the same way. And there are mm -hmm. some pretty powerful ones. I mean, I find some of the stories about the successes in our problem-solving courts around mm -hmm. Michigan are just told so nicely through Facebook or Twitter because you're going to have a short link to a positive story and, you know, with the with the snap of a finger, it's out there mm -hmm. all around the state for people right. to see. It's so immediate. Anyway. It's immediate. Yeah. And um, just there's just no other way to get the information out there quite as effectively or as efficiently. Oh, well, that's a very um, trailblazing idea. I think we'll see more judges follow along. It's only trailblazing in law, but yeah, yeah I'll take <laughs> well, it, I guess. Luckily, I'm in law, so I can yeah, trailblaze with, so I can trailblaze by right? doing what everybody else is doing in the world. <laughs> Justice McCormick, can you talk a little bit about just kind of going on a little sidebar here? You talked about the problem-solving course. Can yeah. you explain a little bit more about what problem-solving courts are? Yeah, you bet. Um, in Michigan, I think in every jurisdiction at this point, we have a significant number of courts at the trial level that are devoted to um, dealing with the problems that the people, the defendants who appear on these courts show up with instead of just sentencing them to whatever, you know, jail time is appropriate. So we have drug courts and we have sobriety courts and we have veterans treatment courts. We now have um, uh, some mental health courts and other courts focused just on particular kids with those issues. And in those courts, what we're doing is, what the judges in those courts are doing, I, I don't sit on a trial court, so I don't get to actually do this myself, although I love to go to these graduations. The judges on those dockets are connecting the defendants in their courtrooms with the services they need to solve the underlying problem, the underlying problem that got them there in the first place, whether it's an addiction to drugs or a mental health issue. In the case of many of our veterans, PTSD results in both of those things. And the courts are able to connect those veterans to services that are already available, you know, services through the VA, but the folks were having trouble, you know, because of their mental illness or because of their addiction, connecting themselves to services. So these courts are connecting them to the services, putting them through a pretty rigorous and usually long-term um, set of programs and expectations. And then when they're succeeding, they're getting the benefit of usually avoiding jail time mm -hmm. and sometimes even avoiding a conviction. And what we've now seen is the success rates from these courts are off the charts. The recidivism rates are 
way down. Um, and as a result, they're not only you know providing these success stories for the people in the courts and their families, of course, but also their communities because yes. they end up spending less money and um, having safer communities overall. So at the Michigan Supreme Court, we've invested heavily in these courts. We support them, we train them, we provide certification for them, and we are uh, very, very proud of how many of them we have operating in Michigan. They're very successful, and people, if you speak to people that have gone through that process, they really were moved and affected by being involved with the problem-solving court for so long. And the relationships they formed with the people in the court, the judge and the probation officers. And and folks. usually in mentors. We have, and and mentors, especially in the yes. Veterans Treatment Court, we have a mentor model. And they have um, mentors who give up their time. They, they're yeah. just volunteer mentors Volunteers. who serve these courts um, and are a big part of the success of the folks on the docket. Now, to your knowledge, are these courts then unique to Michigan, or is this no, something... No, no, there are problem-solving courts all over the country. In fact, there are national organizations that support them. There's an organization out of D.C. called Justice for Vets that does training and support for veterans treatment courts around the country. In fact, it's going to be in Michigan at the end of October for two days doing a regional training for all the volunteer mentors, not just in Michigan, but in this whole region. They're going to be two days at the Michigan Supreme Court doing their regional training. Interesting. Um, I know Michigan has more veterans treatment courts than any other state in the country, however. So we've got that going for us. Good Good for us. (laughs) Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our program. I want to thank you for joining us today, Justice McCormick. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you. If our listeners have questions or wish to follow up with you, how can they reach you? Ah, good one. So I would recommend that they go to my Facebook page. They can like it. They can message me there. It's Justice Bridget Mary McCormick. They can follow me on Twitter at Bridget Mary MC. They can follow the Michigan Supreme Court on Twitter at MI Supreme Court. Um, and I would recommend they do all of the above and they can get in touch with me any of those ways. Thank you very much. You bet. This has been another edition of the State Bar of Michigan on Balance Podcast. I'm Joanne Hathaway. And I'm Tish Vincent. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the State Bar of Michigan on Balance Podcast. Brought to you by the State Bar of Michigan and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS, find the State Bar of Michigan and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network or the State Bar of Michigan or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.